This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Your Radio Doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, products, physicians, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on Your Radio Doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. At Independence Blue Cross, we take care of the people who take care of you. Everyday heroes like firefighters, teachers, farmers, and healthcare workers. Doctors and hospitals across the region have IBX, and they know what it means to have reliable access to care. So whether you're saving lives or just trying to live a healthier life, count on IBX, the region's number one health insurer for 85 years. Learn more at IBX.com. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Saturday afternoon at 5. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or ten months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good afternoon and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Well, this week we're talking about some timely topics in pediatrics with the recent report of measles cases in the region and what you should know about RSV. Plus, we'll review some age-old questions like, how sick is sick? When your child has a fever, when do you take him or her to the doctor? And finally, a few words about the balance of screen time and family time. Joining us is Dr. Julie Cardos, the medical director of the Primary Care Network at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia in the Newtown office. She's also a fellow of the American Academy of Pediatrics, the co-founder and regular host of the pediatric advice blog called Two Peds and a Pod, a founding member of Mattel's Medical and Scientific Safety Council as a consultant for product safety, and a frequent speaker for prenatal classes at St. Mary's Hospital in Langhorne. Welcome, Julie. Thank you. You are one busy lady. That I think that's so cool. Two peds in a pod. We'll refer to that during the show so people can enjoy reading your blog. Two P-E-D-S folks, as in pediat- pediatricians. I think that's adorable. Um, so Thank Julie, you. let's start with when you should take your child to see the pediatrician. How sick is, quote, sick? What are the parameters that you share with uh, parents, especially okay. parents of their first child? Well, this is, this is a topic near and dear because I discuss this every day at work. So in general, first of all, parents need to trust themselves. So if a parent thinks they need to bring their child to the doctor, that's good enough for me and they should call and make an appointment. However, what I also hear from a lot of parents is I will, I'm nervous. What if my child gets sick and I just don't know if they're very sick or just a little sick? So I try to, I like simple. So I try to give parents, here are three things to think about, okay? So first off, even if your child feels yucky, are they thinking clearly? 
So like, can you comfort them? Do they know who you are? Um, if they're a baby and they're crying and you rock them and soothe them, does that help make them feel better? Um, you know, soothing should be comforting. Um, so does your child recognize you? So that's all kind of mental state, like mental status. That's what like doctors refer to that as, but really it's just, are they thinking okay? A lot of things can interfere with that, right? So if your child in pain, it's hard to comfort them. Or if your child's dehydrated, they're going to be very lethargic. Or if your child's just very sick with an infection, they might be very lethargic or delirious or something. So that's just one thing to think about. If your child's thinking clearly, that's always a good check. Um, then I move on kind of like brain, now your mouth, okay? So drinking. So is your child hydrated? So if a child has a bad throw-up virus or they have diarrhea or even fever, they have reasons to be dehydrated. So if your child's drinking enough to pee the same frequency that they always do, they're probably okay. And again, if you're not drinking enough that you're not peeing a lot, you know, if, if you go 12 hours without urinating, that's a sign your child's not getting enough fluids. And a dehydrated child is also a lethargic child, so it starts to overlap, right? And then the third really important organ system is your breathing, right? So if your child has a cough, you know, doctors go to, okay, well, could it be a lung infection? But if they're breathing easily, Right? So you should look, I always tell parents when they're in the exam room in front of me, look at your child right now, they're healthy, pull up their shirt, see how you can't even see that they're breathing because breathing is easy, right? So if you have a pneumonia or bronchiolitis or some other lung infection or, or, or even a heart issue that's interfering with breathing, you're going to see struggling, right? So your child, instead of their lips looking nice and pink, might look blue and they they might have their noses, you know, anyone with a stuffy nose sometimes will flare their nostrils while they're breathing, but not every breath. So if your child's flaring their nose every time they take a breath, they're trying to get extra oxygen in. And if you look at their chest, again, you shouldn't really see breathing because it should be easy. But if you stand in front of a mirror and suddenly take a huge deep breath in for like a second, you're going to see your ribs stick out. You don't want to see that with breathing, right? That means your child's using extra muscles to breathe, which isn't normal. So again, thinking, drinking, hydration, and breathing. If they're doing all those things, and remember, we didn't even talk about fever yet because I know we're going to just to address that. Mm -hmm. But if those three things are good, your child probably okay, at least at that point in time. Right. And uh, as you say, what we refer to accessory muscles, it shouldn't be that much work that you're using the muscles between your ribs. We just, right. uh, we have a simulation center for our medical students and we teach them how to examine different uh, systems, the lungs, the heart, yes. how to do it correctly. Mm -hmm. We were just talking about that last week. If you see a person using their neck muscles or their, the muscles in their ribs, they're really mm -hmm. struggling. And you don't want to let Correct. that go for two reasons, because you're missing the cause, but also the person could tire out and stop breathing. And then, Correct. Yeah, not good. Correct. Right. So, you know, it's all of those three things. And then it's also, sometimes I call it the spidey sense, right? But your sense that just something isn't right, that's good yes. enough. So you never have to justify why you're calling your child's exactly. pediatrician, right? But that can help parents decide, is this a sudden, like, I need to call right now, or can I wait and see what happens? Yeah, of course. And I guess on some occasions, if there's a question, maybe the, um, the doctor or one of the nurses could hop on and get a quick telehealth look at the child. That's uh, 
one of the silver linings of uh, COVID has helped us know when to use telehealth if we want to see somebody and not just yeah. chat on the phone. Yeah, that's been very helpful. So measles, this there's this spread. Well, it's not a spread. That's the wrong term. A handful of cases, but enough to alarm us and say, what is causing it for, for starters? And what should people know? So, you know, we know measles is like the most contagious infectious disease that we know about, right? Um, the reason most people haven't really heard much about measles is because there's a very effective vaccine that most of our children get, right? So starting at a year old, we can vaccinate against measles. So because most of us are vaccinated, um, those born before 1957 are assumed to have had measles as children. So they also, measles is one of those illnesses that if you get it once, your body remembers it and you don't get it again. So that's convenient, right? But for the rest of us who've been vaccinated, that prevents, you know, spread of measles. And um, so unfortunately, the more people who don't vaccinate, the more likely it is that we leave people open to measles. Um, and, in, you know, in the United States, most cases of measles come from other countries, right? So we have, you know, people from the United States visiting abroad where there's lower vaccine rates, and then they come back with their measles, and then un they can spread it to people who have not been vaccinated or who have never had natural measles. Mm -hmm. And my understanding, I, I read a, a great report that was uh, published by the Board of Health in Philadelphia, and they mm -hmm. said that there's a small, you know, Philadelphia, thank goodness, has a 93% uh, vaccination rate. But for the people hesitating, if you say if they go to another country on a visit and they bring it back, mm -hmm. the the explanation why it uh, affected a few other children was that the people have to follow the quarantine recommendations. And we might want to talk about that for a minute, that yeah. um, that little child who was diagnosed was put in daycare mm -hmm. and then a couple of other children got it. So um it's tough. Right. You have to go to work and your child's sick, but uh, yeah. 90% infection rate. We have a, um, we chatted about this the other day when we talk about infectious diseases like COVID. If you're standing in a circle and one person has it, what's the likelihood if they even speak pretty, right. um, um, what's the word I want? <laughs> in a lively pattern of speech, not just call for sneeze. It can pass to X number of people with, but with measles right. is 90%. And, and yeah, right. it can, an area where maybe a child's been sitting in a pediatric office, that can be contaminated for up to two hours after the infectious person has left. Maybe right. that's a good visual yes. for people to take away. Yeah. Yeah. So it's super, super contagious. Um, we know that the time you are contagious with measles is about, so, so measles can start out looking like a cold, right? You can have a cough, runny nose, um, runny eyes and fever. And then typically around day four of illness, you break out with a rash. So that's the big clue that inside of a bad cold with a high fever, it could be measles and you're fever continues and even spikes higher when you have the rash. So it starts out, usually the rash starts out in the face and then moves downward down the body. And so the contagious period is about four days from before the rash appears until four days afterwards. So, you know, usually once you are diagnosed with measles, you've had the rash again, because that's the big clue. Um, so there's another at least four days that you should be isolating from everybody else. Um, you can break out with measles from a week to two weeks after your exposure mm. to measles. So incubation is 21 days just to plus minus a few days. And, and the reason we're so, we get so worried about it is because about one in five of these children are hospitalized or adults, I should say. Yes. Um, one in 20 get pneumonia, the most common cause of death. 
a small mm-hmm. one in a thousand maybe get encephalitis, but one to three out of a thousand yeah. can die. And it's it's so frightening. Uh, and that's why we have to be extra careful. Pregnant women, they're at risk, the mom's at risk and the baby as well. And that leads to premature births, yes. uh, spontaneous abortion, all kinds of reasons why we have to be careful. Who are the most vulnerable? So really, we talked about, you know, you just mentioned pregnant women, right? Because it puts them at risk for um, delivering early. Um, and then children under the age of five tend to have more severe disease. That's similar to when we talk about flu and COVID. It might have to do with the fact that younger children don't cough as hard. They can't clear their lungs as easily. So they're more at risk for pneumonia from any respiratory disease. But children under five are more at risk. And then people over the age of 20, are more at risk. And then anyone with an immune system defect, right? Whether they're, they have, you know, inherent immune system disease or they're being treated for cancer or with medication that can lower their immune system. Mm-hmm. So even if somebody's an adult who's been vaccinated or has had measles, once they're immunocompromised from whatever, a cancer or a treatment, they're at risk again, even if they've been previously vaccinated. That's what people need to know. That's why we have to be so careful with measles. Um, a word on RSV, Julie. Are you seeing a lot of cases? Yes. And what should people know oh, about yes. vaccinating their children? Sure. So RSV is unfortunately the most common reason children get admitted to a hospital every year. Wow. Um, there are, um, you know, so again, RSV looks like a bad cold. And all of us probably have had RSV numerous times. You know, RSV stands for respiratory syncytial virus. And the reason it's important in children is that, you know, every year we have RSV is the cause of 15 million outpatient visits to doctors. It's the cause of about 600,000 emergency department visits. It causes about anywhere from 60 to 80 hospital, 60 to 80 thousand hospitalizations per year. And unfortunately, between 100 and 300 children die of RSV each year. So pediatricians are ecstatic about this new RSV shot that became available this year. And um, it used to be that we would, we had, we did have a similar RSV shot that only lasted a month at a time that we would give to our most vulnerable children. So very premature babies, babies with ongoing oxygen dependent because of very severe lung disease, right? Or they had heart disease that made them like, you know, not uh, have a normal oxygen level. So those babies did get a kind of a similar vaccine. It, was, it wasn't really a vaccine. It was a shot with immune cells in it to help them become immune to RSV and help them resist the effects of RSV. Now we have a shot that lasts about five months and it was licensed for anyone under the age of eight months because that is your highest age risk of getting hospitalized with RSV. So we are very happy about this new shot. Yeah, let's take a little break. And when we come back, more from Dr. Julie Cardis about RSV and other explanations about fever. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Mary Ann Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. At Independence Blue Cross, we take care of the people who take care of you. Everyday heroes like firefighters, teachers, farmers, and healthcare workers. Doctors and hospitals across the region have IBX, and they know what it means to have reliable access to care. So whether you're saving lives or just trying to live a healthier life, count on IBX, the region's number one health insurer for 85 years. Learn more at IBX.com. 
When Recovery Centers of America at Devon opened its campuses on the main line and in South Jersey, they offered a new approach, local addiction treatment led by an expert caring team of professionals. RCA has since helped thousands and leads the way in innovative programs and exceptional inpatient and outpatient care, all in a beautiful setting that allows for healing and recovery. RCA answers the phone and admits patients 24-7, 365, including the holidays. All admitted patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID-19. Call now at 1-888-RECOVERY. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. Welcome back to your radio doctor, and we are so happy that Dr. Julie Cardos from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, the Newtown office, is here to share really important information. Julie, we were talking about RSV. Hallelujah. New vaccine. Who should get that? So really, it is it is available to anyone under the age of eight months of age. And again, because that is the age group that's most vulnerable to poor outcomes with RSV. So they're more likely to get pneumonias or bronchiolitis, which is an infection of the small airways of the lungs, and it can interfere with breathing. And we talked about, again, that's one of the big organ systems you have to watch for, right? How sick is sick? Breathing is really important. Um, you, uh, the, the, um, the shot is just given one time during the baby's first RSV season. So for example, if you're born in July, you don't get the shot then. We give the shot during RSV season, which is generally October through March. So again, if you're as long as you're under the age of eight months, you're eligible to get this shot. So you should talk uh, to your pediatrician about that. Yeah, but I think it's good that you um, are bringing this up so people know to talk to their doctors. It's yeah. so important. There also, I should so mention fever. I'm, I'm sorry. I should mention there is a there are some children who will qualify for a second dose their second mm -hmm. RSV season. So those children generally have medical complexities. And again, they should be discussing this with their pediatrician. Good to know. Um, Julie, fever, it's, it's always been a question. And I uh, personally, as a physician, people will say, well, can't you just order antibiotics for your own child? And I say, absolutely no, because I never <laughs> wanted to overcall or undercall. I couldn't live with that if I ordered the wrong thing or I said, oh, we're good. We, we could wait or Let's jump to right. it. Always. That's why I take my, you know, take my children too. But in general, we talk about the definition of fever as being a temperature that's elevated over 100.4 Fahrenheit. Yeah. So yes. I guess the tough thing, especially with little children, mm -hmm. to take it by mouth, under the baby's arm, ear, yeah. forehead, rectal, how do you go about okay. telling people at home to be practical and accurate? Okay. So that's a great question. So... I think about fever in two age groups. So there's fever under the age of two months old, and then there's fever in everybody else, okay? So fever under the age of two months old is the most important time to be accurate. Is there a fever? And the way to take a, a young infant's temperature is rectally, and they have these digital thermometers now that are pretty easy to read, but a rectal temperature of 100.4 or higher Fahrenheit or 38 Celsius is a fever. That is when fever is actually an emergency and the baby should be taken to medical care, usually an emergency department. Because unfortunately, young babies, their immune systems are not as good. They haven't had any vaccines and they are for serious bacterial infections that might start out with a fever. And sure. those other three systems we talked about, their mental state, their breathing, and their hydration might start out being okay and then quickly not be okay. So right. that is the only time that we really are most, we're most important, we're most interested in what is the number. If it's 100.4 or higher, that's a fever that baby needs to be seen. Mm -hmm. The good news is 
for the older children. So older babies and children, it doesn't really matter how you take the temperature, just tell us how you did it. So you can say, I took my baby temperature under the arm and it was 101. You don't have to worry about, do I add a degree? Do I subtract a degree? It don't make it a hard math problem. Just tell your doctor, I measured it this way and this is what it was. Um, I We joke about like school-age children, the momometer, right? You put your hand on the child's <laughs> head yeah. and you can kind of guess how hot they yep. are. But, um, but basically, a fever is your body's reaction to a foreign invader, right? Sometimes your body wants to make a fever to kill off a germ, whether it's a virus, a cold. It could be a urinary tract infection. It could be a lung infection. It could be a stomach virus, the flu, there's a million things that cause fever. And some children get sick and don't get fevers, right? Or not, you know, that easily. Good point. It doesn't really matter, but a fever is your immune system trying to fight off bad germs. Mm-hmm. So the typical so, cases yeah. where you see a, a fever in a, well, I just say under two months, I like that you emphasize quickly, they can really start to uh, get mm-hmm. super sick very quickly. So we're going to jump on that. Um, Typically, as you mentioned, like a GI bug or a cold, mm-hmm. ear infections, croup is a scary one. Children don't get urinary tract infections very often, do they? Well, they, they can. Can they? They can, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes after a vaccination. But I guess, too, with an oral temp, you're, you're going to say maybe wait 30 minutes after the little child's had a cold drink or even a hot drink. Oh, and, um, right, right. You can affect that a little bit. Remind <laughs> them not to bite down if you're using a glass thermometer, but people don't use the glass ones anymore. But um, no. so how do we address it then? If a baby uh, okay. under two months, we're going to zip right to the doctor. How about your older children? Okay. So the most important, you know, so if we talk about it realistically, so a fever is a way of killing bad germs. It's actually a good thing, right? The problem with fever is not it, it basically the problem with fever is it makes you feel yucky right so typically when i if i have a fever my body hurts i have headache right it can be hard to sleep because you're uncomfortable so the there isn't it's not imperative to get the temperature back to normal so what parents should understand is that a fever is a good way to fight germs. But if your child, and if your child like watching a Disney movie and drinking an apple juice box and they're thinking clearly, they're breathing easily, they're drinking enough, they're still urinating, okay, you don't have to treat the fever at all if you don't want to. However, if your child kind of laying around and doesn't want to do anything and kind of cries and and you lower that fever, even by a degree or two, they're going to feel better. So, you know, the way to make them comfortable is, first of all, if they are hot and they want to pull the blankets off, let them just dress them in a cool T-shirt. Mm-hmm. If they're shivering mm-hmm. or they feel cold and they want a blanket, give them a blanket. And then there are fever reducing medicines, Tylenol or you know, acetaminophen or ibuprofen, that's Motrin or Advil, um, that, you know, six months and up for the ibuprofen. Tylenol, you can, can be given down to two months, but you can lower a fever. And it's not, again, it's not important that you get the fever to normal temperature. It's just, if you lower, if your child a little cooler, they'll feel a little better. And that's really mm-hmm. the goal is to help the children be comfortable while they are sick. And then I should is add, there- yeah. And it's normal after the medicine wears off, their fever is probably going to go back up, right? Mm. And that is very normal too. You're just hiding a fever to give your child relief for a few hours. Don't be alarmed 
that the fever comes back. And we want to know how many days of fever is it and what else is happening to try to figure out if the child is going to get over their illness on their own. Is there any temperature where you say, you know what, no matter what, if it reaches X, because I know little children can have a fairly high fever and you don't get alarmed. Not every high, 100, 405, it means meningitis or something life-threatening. Is there any temp that you say, no, no matter what, bring baby doll in? The, you know, the, I, I will make a, a one note about that, you know, fever is fighting illness, a high body temperature from heat stroke. So for example, right, summer football player or, you know, drinking, you know, I practice, you know, getting too hot or like in a hot car, like, you know, in the summertime, that's heat stroke. That will raise your temperature dangerously high. That is a problem that can cause brain damage, but that is not what we're talking about, mm-hmm. right? We're talking about fever that your body generates in response to an illness. So in that sense, there is no number that we worry. It's what does the child look like? Uh-huh. Again, so so you have two children with 102 fever. If one's happy and playing with flushed cheeks, but the other one doesn't know who their mom is, I'm much worried about the one who doesn't know who their mom yeah, is. Yeah. Any other parameters? Like, let's say the child has a seizure, you're going to take bring the baby in, yes, or child? Of course. So, uh, yes, unfortunately, there's about 2 or 3% of children who have the bad luck as being predisposed to having a seizure with fever. And um, that's very scary. It's not very common. It tends to run in families. So when you ask grandparents, suddenly you get this, oh, yes, when you were a year old, that happened to you. But you wouldn't know about it because you don't remember. Um, So febrile seizures are um, can occur in children with no history of seizures. They generally last under two minutes long. It involves total body shaking, arms and legs shaking, and the child not reacting to you properly. Um, And then sometimes they happen when parents don't even realize the child's sick. It's not till the fever is over and they're in the emergency department that the emergency room room doctor says, oh, and your child has 103 fever. So unfortunately, they're tough to prevent because you don't even know they're going to happen. You don't realize your child's sick. Um, and I guess if you have a child who has recurrent fevers, even if they only last for a few hours, there's a pattern there that you want to check into yes. or a fever with a new rash can represent of, some really uh, dangerous situations. Yeah, so, there are, so, so, there, so in addition to like breathing problems, thinking problems are not hydrated, you're right. Fever generally more than three to five days somewhere in that ballpark. You want to get your child seen, even if they look pretty good, because you want to figure out what's causing the fever to last that many days. Um, or like you said, recurring fever. So they get a fever, it goes away, um, you know, but every few days or so they get fevers back. So that's, again, something to discuss with the child's pediatrician. So you want to make that little guy feel better and you're going to force fluids unless they have a strep throat or something that it's so hard to swallow. But fluids, of course, rest as much as they yeah. want, but don't force them. But pretty much mm-hmm. a child can go back to school after fever-free for 24 hours? Yes, because, and the reason for that is statistically speaking, you know, fevers go up and down during an illness. But once your fever is gone for 24 hours, it's a really good bet. It's done. And so you're less contagious. You're going to feel better and you can tolerate being in school and you're less of a risk for other kids. Mm-hmm. But until then, you know, if you wake up in the morning cool, it's very common kids wake up from an afternoon nap hot again, right? Or the fever sure. comes back in the nighttime. So yeah. again, once you're 24 hours fever-free, you're a lot less likely to get. And if you get a fever back after being fever-free for a day or two, that's another reason to call your doctor. So to get the child. And sponge out. baths, we don't go there anymore, but rubbing alcohol. I yeah. think that's something I was reading the other day. Rubbing alcohol in a bath could be 
downright dangerous. Yes. yes, it can be toxic because yes. your skin absorbs the alcohol. Exactly. So, so don't do that. Moms and dads you know? don't do. <laughs> no, no, no alcohol. And, and even, you know, cold people used to try to, you know, if you watch on TV, all these movies, oh, they have a fever, get them in the ice water, get them in an ice bath. Don't do that. It's all that causes is shivering and raises your body temperature even more. Interesting. So there's really no, again, there's never an urgency mm-hmm. to get fever down. You pay attention to fever, but you don't panic about fever. Mm-hmm. So the choice is to, to, Get comfort and bring the temp down if possible. Tylenol, children's Motrin, but not under age six months for the children's uh, ibuprofen. Never give an aspirin to a child under 18 years of age. Tell us about Rye syndrome. Yeah, so it's very rare, but there's an association um, between children with... aspirin and rye syndrome so that can be a very dangerous uh like it's like a liver failure like the child had like a cephalitis it's like dope brain and it it it, it, it can be uh, fatal um but very da- it, it, we saw it most commonly after um flu with child children who took aspirin with flu and chickenpox but it can happen you know it again it we're, we don't see it very much now because parents know not to give aspirin yeah so no aspirin and the last thing before we have 30 seconds antibiotics Really, only after bacterial infection. Most of the time, when parents say, "Oh, my child's sick," where the antibiotics? You say, "No." So, so, and I think it's a myth. Parents, antibiotics do not cure fever. They cure bacterial infection. So they're very important in the children who have bacterial infections, but they will not lower a fever. Mm-hmm. Let's take a little break to hear about this week's real champion. And when we come back, how do you take your child to a restaurant without an iPad? And now for your real champion. I call this segment, Amazing Grace. Lots of kids dream about what they'll be when they grow up. 10-year-old Mary Grace Schaefer has dreams too. They might just be a little harder to realize because Mary Grace has cerebral palsy. Her mother, Sheila, had a sudden complication during pregnancy and the baby came early at 32 weeks without a heartbeat. Sheila and her husband, Kyle, prayed and prayed Please let us keep her. After 45 days in neonatal intensive care, Mary Grace came home. Sheila and Kyle are both athletic trainers by profession and realize the brain injury can manifest in muscles and bones. Their knowledge was a blessing. In conversations with doctors, understanding what they read, it made them more committed. And for therapy, their hands-on skills were a big advantage. Their family also includes nine-year-old Claire, seven-year-old Ryan, and five-year-old Aaron. Friends ask, how did you have three more children? Sheila's reply, well, everything just takes a little longer. Mary Grace is up and out each morning by 7.40 on the school bus. The extra care she needs is all they've ever known, and it's part of their routine. For other established families who later have a child with CP, their worlds are turned upside down. Mary Grace attends the HMS school in West Philly. In 1882, the Home of the Merciful Savior was started by an Episcopalian minister and his wife to support children with disabilities who were considered hopeless cases. Once polio was eliminated by the vaccine in the 1950s, the focus switched to caring for children with cerebral palsy. Today, the school is one of the best of its kind in the world, attracting children from across the country. Mary Grace loves HMS, a very special place. 
art and music are favorite classes, and she loves to send emails. Outdoor mobility class teaches kids to cross a street, use public transportation, and navigate the city. She works hard at speech, but it's difficult and exhausting. And when she's not engaged, people think that's all she has. Not so. She can still take in information while eliminating the fatigue of holding her head up. Sheila and Kyle love the staff. Each member fights for your child the same way you do. They know she's loved and all share the common goal to help Mary Grace become her best self. It's also beautiful to watch how the younger children take care of their big sister. They're a typical family. They fight with Mary Grace. They take her stuff and she takes theirs. She's the sassiest kid in our family. Mary Grace comforts sister Claire, her best friend. And when Mary Grace spent a month in the hospital after recent hip surgery, separation was just as hard for Claire. In fact, Mary Grace is excited about spending one night a week at overnight camp this summer, but her brother and sister say they'll miss her too much. Her vision is impaired, but she can drive her power chair. But the 500-pound vehicle has limited accessibility. They can't lift the chair, but without it, she loses her freedom. The chair is custom molded to fit her, so they can't rent one when they travel, and the chair can be damaged when stored in a plane. So vacation plans are limited. Sheila is on the Cerebral Palsy Advisory Board at Nemours Children's Hospital and says, we're lagging so much as a society. People with disabilities need access to their environment. Mary Grace can't even use a public restroom. You can explain over and over, but people just don't understand. We need a universal design, not just for wheelchairs, but it also works for the elderly. People with disabilities work harder than you, but they can't get into the community to show what they've learned. The divorce rate in the U.S. is about 50%. In families with special needs children, it's over 90%. Sheila and Kyle realize that your spouse is the only other person in the world who loves this child the way you do. This is why we're married. We're doing this together. You can't do it alone, and you're not alone. God is with you. Everything is a blessing, especially the people that met since she was born. Mary Grace went through the full prep course for her first Holy Communion. Then Kyle and Sheila began a ministry called the Partnership with Persons with Disabilities to help others become more active in their church community. Mary Grace loves church. She sings in the children's choir, plays the drums and the chimes. The choir director says, she's on fire. She's changed me and has taught me how to approach other people. And many have said they feel the Lord through Mary Grace. Her greatest wish is to be included. She doesn't want people to talk to her like she's a baby, and she doesn't want to be defined by what she can't do. She was a flower girl in each of her three aunt's weddings, and her big dream is to be a secretary, because not having a ceiling is the plan. This little girl is amazing and full of grace. We salute you, Mary Grace, Kyle, and Sheila Schaefer, your real champions. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. At Independence Blue Cross, we take care of the people who take care of you. Everyday heroes like firefighters, 
teachers, farmers, and healthcare workers. Doctors and hospitals across the region have IBX, and they know what it means to have reliable access to care. So whether you're saving lives or just trying to live a healthier life, count on IBX, the region's number one health insurer for 85 years. Learn more at IBX.com. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, now Saturday afternoons at 5, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. Welcome back to Your Radio Doctor. Let's talk now with Dr. Julie Cardos from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia in the Newtown office about screen time. And Julie, we talked about what a treat it is for a family to go out to a restaurant. How do we go and enjoy the meal and say, no iPads for the children? Okay. No, this is great. So, you know, think about all the things that we could teach our kids about going to a restaurant. And I, I, I kind of think if you have the expectation that this is going to be fun and learning and together, and yet if your children break down or if your child breaks down, you're going to convert to takeout. Okay. So as long as you have that attitude going mm-hmm. in, you have a chance to have give your kids a, a good really a good family experience and a good learning experience by taking them without the iPad. And it is possible. <laughs> okay. So there, so in the beginning, you, I, this is a good sort of to think about any new experience your child's going to have. Talk about it, right? So you can play restaurant with your toddlers at home. Let's pretend we're going to a restaurant, right? So oh, cute. What, so that's something. What happened? So unlike at home, where you know, I, I it's you know, I I like to think of meal times as two to have two um, goals. One is to nourish, and one is to socialize, right? And but sometimes things get in the way with that. We're hurried. Um, parents are worried that the kids aren't going to eat what they cook, or the kids are refusing <laughs> everything on the table. And sort of a, a very common, a mom or dad said, "This is not a restaurant, right?" Well, here you're going to a restaurant. <laughs> so unlike at home, you you can tell everyone can pick what they want to eat, right? And there's a big kitchen and they make lots of different foods and you can point that out to the kid. You can say there's going to be someone who comes and takes your order. It gives your child a chance to do something. Like children love doing things for themselves. It builds self-esteem. So you could say, I will read you the menu. And of course, look ahead, please make sure there's something on that menu you think your child will eat, right? And also look ahead and make sure the restaurant is kid-friendly. Here's a clue. If they offer high chairs, they're probably kid-friendly, uh-huh. right? If you yeah, walk in point. and they have the crayons and the paper, it's probably kid-friendly. But also, you it, kids are going to have to wait, right? Think what is involved. You get to pick what you eat, but then you have to wait. So now, what can you do while you're waiting? And here's where you don't need the iPad, right? So you could play games. You could play I Spy. You could play how many babies are in this restaurant or Uh how many people are wearing a hat in this restaurant, right? Or how many people wearing blue? So you can do number games, counting. You could... um, you can take the little sugar packets that might be on the table and you can stack them up and knock them over. Or you can, you know, little kids love to put things into other things. So if you have an yes. empty glass or an empty mug, you can put each sugar packet into the mug and then dump it out and do it again. 
Or if you have water with ice in it and you have a plate on the table, you can take an ice cube and put it on the plate and poke around at it, right? That's a science experiment. <laughs> like there's lots of things you can do. Um, and you can, um, to, to, and you know, I don't really like, you don't want to walk around with your child at a restaurant because it's dangerous, right? So that's probably not a good distraction. You don't want to get knocked into with somebody carrying a hot beverage, sure. right? Um, sometimes people think, well, okay, I'll wait with my child outside and the one inside will text me when the food comes. But that kind of, that's not really like, the goal is to be together, yeah, right? Exactly. Teach your kids Defeats something. the purpose. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, but again, a lot of games you can play waiting for the food. The other tactic you can take is bring a little hors d'oeuvre of your own that oh, won't ruin smart. their appetite, right? So bring a little bag of Cheerios or bring a little container of like a little bit of like fruit packed in the fruit juice so it's not like super sweet and sticky. Um, you know, just some little kid appetizer. Um, I also would caution parents, do not order your own appetizer. It's best if all the food comes out at once, right? Yeah, um, yes. <laughs> and also knowing that once your child is done eating, they're probably going to be all done sitting. You should ask the waiter or waitress to bring you the check with the food so you can make a fast exit if you have to. I like that. Um it is also, again, your chance for your child to try lots of different foods. So if everybody has something different, there is an opportunity, right, to try different foods. Um, your child can practice using their fork and their spoon if they're, you know, toddler, just learning that. If you need to, you can bring your own utensils if they're used to using a little tiny spoon. But it's okay to try using the restaurant spoon and fork, right? And these are such easy steps because you don't want it to be stressful for the children let alone yourself, or if grandparents come with, right. it's um, it can be difficult and it takes all the fun. And as you say, the whole goal is to be together and yes. see those little faces. I know we struggled every night, whether somebody had a sport after school or a, or a, you know, a club or something like that. The, the younger kids would come and would have little snacks at the counter just to start your homework or watch a little yeah, TV yeah. or something. And then we'd all eat together because I wanted to see, you know, you ask your child, how was your day? Eh, anything happened? No. But at the table, they can't escape. And it's all right there in that little face. And I love, too, that you say that when a child goes to a restaurant, they're, you're, you're, it's an opportunity to teach manners. And the way it you is. talk to somebody, it's, it's, a, it's a privilege to get to go to a restaurant. It's not like, darling, get me more milk. You know, it's, you're teaching that that person's working hard to make a nice experience for you. And you learn how to order food politely, but also correctly. Yes. Yes. And you can teach a simple yes, please, or no, thank you. Right. Mm-hmm. So you, you can teach that to your children. And your goal is to have the waiter or waitress love you, which means <laughs> you pick up after your child because we know little kids are messy. Right. Absolutely. So you can help um, tip largely. Um, and, you know, again, bring your own distractions. You can bring don't bring your whole play toy chest, but you can certainly bring one or two favorite books for your child to flip through in case not everybody's done eating at once. You can bring like we used to always have a little matchbox car. My one son yes. would everything was a road. Right. So he would drive the little car on the you know, on the table, on the back of the seat, you know, as long as the arm of the chair. Yeah. Yeah. Granny's granny's head. Yeah. We get that too. (laughs) And you can tell stories. You can tell about your day. You can, you can play a game called high, low Buffalo. 
which oh. everybody everybody goes around the table says high is the best thing that happened to them that day and low is oh. the least favorite thing that happened and the buffalo is the one surprising or strange thing that happened that day well my my high of the day is that you just mentioned that an hors d'oeuvre that's totally acceptable and uh, appealing is cheerio so the next time i have a family dinner the hors d'oeuvre at you know pre-dinner is going to be cheerios i like that we have plain and we have honey nut so they're going to like that so and it's know, healthy and, <laughs> and then it, and remember you can't you can't think of it as date night you have to really think of it as family yeah, night exactly and and then night. just have a heart if you're again if your child breaks down okay wrap it all up we're gonna leave it's not fair to the other diners right so and you can always try again exactly or to yeah. anybody at the table yeah. And, and you know what? Five years from now, 10 years from now, you're going to miss not having those little children. You, you yeah. enjoy it. Carpe of diem. Course. Enjoy the day. How about screen so, time in general, Julie? Um, how do parents oversee use of screen time? Because we know there are positives. And at this point, even I know some coaches put, um, what do you call it? Practice mm -hmm. times and game schedule mm -hmm. online. So kids are being brought to use the screen for all sorts of reasons, video games or movies, et cetera. How are, how is it possible to be reasonable so, and balancing being active? I mean, certainly this is time? age dependent, right. To some extent. Right. Um, sure. So with our youngest children, screen time is really for them as entertainment, a way you can enhance their entertainment is to watch with them and to point things out and to discuss mm. what you're seeing because that's called shared attention when you and your child are sharing an activity together that teaches social skills it also teaches language so um, even though you might think your child's hearing a lot of words watching a video or watching a short movie that when they're hearing words in context in a conversation with you, their language skills are much better. We know that kids who watch too much TV and have too much passive screen time have language delays more than kids who don't. So when the youngest kid, so then you get to like the slightly older kids, um, especially I, I see younger and younger um, kids wanting their own phone. And so when you think of what is the purpose of a phone is it for communication, right? So I think it, it's, you know, if you don't have a landline anymore and your children need to communicate with friends to get together um, and they're too young, you know, coaches can't put, you know, you can't use Facebook and under a 13 year old anyway, you're not supposed to have, you know, social media accounts. So there should, there's, but there might be a group chat or there might be, you know, that might be a way that to alert people to practice changes or, so again, you don't really need a smartphone for texting. Right. So an early phone use could just be for communication, which is texting and calling. And you don't need to access the Internet with that. So you're protecting your kids going to, out into the world without supervision that way. And then, you know, and then again, like as, as elementary school kids, you're, you're limiting screen time just like you'd limit everything else. You limit junk food. You limit, right? You yeah. limit um, even playing outside. You want to play outside every day. I think that's fantastic. But you have to do your homework. You have to eat dinner, right? There's other things that you have to do. Yeah. Um, and then when kids are older, more independent, and do need to access the internet for different reasons, like you said, and, and social media plays into this, I think you do not need your phone to sleep. The problem with the phones and with all screen time is it does interfere with sleep time a lot of times. So parents should remember that they own the phone, not the kid. So the parents can make the rules 
And I think recharging your phone overnight in your parents' bedroom or in the kitchen and not in your own bedroom is a good place right. for it. The number one uh, response I hear when I suggest that is, but I need it for my alarm. I need it to wake up. And well, they have these things called alarm clocks. <laughs> buy, buy a $5 alarm clock. Yeah. <laughs> Get creative here. Well, Julie, um, so then you really already answered my other question. At what time and what age is it good to get a child a phone? Um, as long as, well, maybe it doesn't prevent all uh, unpleasant behavior, but um, maybe just get a phone that's simple and doesn't have internet on it. If they need to call you that the bus is late or whatever, that they have access to mom and dad. Julie, the other thing is... Um, with too much screen time, we say it takes mm -hmm. away from time for physical activity, and we see it mm -hmm. as a risk for obesity. But life is a balance. Just this week, January 22, the American Academy of Pediatrics uh, published this clinical report called The Professionalization of Youth Sports Can Lead to Burnout. Why Athletes Need to Take Time Off. Well, as you said, uh, kids that do one sport all year and special camps yeah. over Easter break and all spring break and uh, all that 70% of these young either from injury or burnout are dropping out of their sports by age 13. And then that rolls into 75% of us teens don't meet physical activity recommendations, mm -hmm. a little sports, a little screen time. So they're exposed to everything and they're well-rounded. Yeah? yeah. Let's take a little break. And when we come back, our wrap up with Dr. Julie Cardos. Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. At Independence Blue Cross, we take care of the people who take care of you. Everyday heroes like firefighters, teachers, farmers, and healthcare workers. Doctors and hospitals across the region have IBX, and they know what it means to have reliable access to care. So whether you're saving lives or just trying to live a healthier life, count on IBX, the region's number one health insurer for 85 years. Learn more at IBX.com. When Recovery Centers of America at Devon opened its campuses on the main line and in South Jersey, they offered a new approach, local addiction treatment led by an expert, caring team of professionals. RCA has since helped thousands and leads the way in innovative programs and exceptional inpatient and outpatient care, all in a beautiful setting that allows for healing and recovery. RCA answers the phone and admits patients 24-7, 365, including the holidays. All admitted patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID-19. Call now at 1-888-RECOVERY. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. Welcome back to your final segment of Your Radio Doctor, which we call Your Weekly Prescription, a chance for a take-home message from our guest, Dr. Julie Cardos from CHOP in the Newtown office. Julie, what would you like our listeners to remember most importantly from today? Okay, so we covered a lot of topics, didn't we? We really had a, yeah. a, a good pediatric potpourri here. Um, I think we, you know, we, we started off talking a little bit about, you know, how sick is sick and when to call the doctor. And, you know, the, the bottom line is parents know their kids best. So if they feel like they need to call, they should call. Think about breathing, about hydration and thinking or mental state. We talked a little bit about fever, right? And it's you know, helpful in fighting disease, but it can make you feel miserable. So we talked about ways to treat fever and when to worry about fever, especially fever under two months old, they need to be seen. Everybody else, 
might need to be seen, but also you can take your time to assess what's happening. Um, we talked about RSV, right? And uh, that a new vaccine for our youngest babies this year. And I would you know, recommend talking to your uh, pediatrician about that. Um, and um, you have to remind me what else we talked about. <laughs> well, I think too, the reason that we get alarmed with uh, measles coming to yes. town. Yeah. Uh, so, we talked about the, the people most vulnerable, but the reason we get so upset about it, if it causes pneumonia, that little child could die. Or even if they they don't die, that if, if they get encephalitis or an inflamed brain, they can re it can result in deafness, permanent deafness or mental disability. Not good. So we are so careful. We have we're doing so well. Right, right. Right. Measles. And right. Measles is more than just a bad cold with a rash. It can cause some really serious consequences, yeah. right? And we, we are lifetime. happy that we can mm -hmm. prevent it for the most part. Yeah. Um, I do love that you say if you if you get a cell phone for a younger child because they need it because they're in a, a certain bus route or something, they need to be able to reach you. Just don't put an internet access to internet on it. Mm -hmm. Julie, what are some of the um, websites people can visit? So um, uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics, it, it's a very big website, but within there, there's a pediatric blog that's written by many different pediatricians and it's called healthychildren.org. And you can search a topic and get a very simple one-page explanation of everything we've talked about today. Um, you can, you're certainly welcome to look at my blog, the two peds in a pod.org. That's peds like pediatrician, P-E-D-S. Um, we try to, I kind of write the way I talk and I write that with another pediatrician friend of mine in the CHOP uh, primary care network, Dr. Nalene Lai. Um, we also, um, the, if you're um, curious about the measles vaccine and vaccines in general, or all these infectious diseases that we can prevent, yes. um, Children's Hospital Philadelphia has a fantastic vaccine information, or a vaccine education center that you can look at. And CHOP also has a, on its website a lot of information about um, different infections and different uh, illness. Beautiful. So we'll put them on our newsletter that goes out to thousands of people and our website and social media that those websites that you can tap into. I love two peds for pediatricians, two peds in a pod.org written by Dr. Cardos and her colleague, Dr. Nadine Lai. It, you, you need me to be your agent because you, you didn't share that. It's, it's really an award-winning blog and it's fantastic from two board certified pediatricians with all kinds of general pediatric advice. It's, it's superb. And of course, chop.edu for children's hospital chop.edu and as you say the vaccine education center is really helpful for parents especially since we want to get rsv uh, vaccinations mm -hmm. up and running and the american academy of pediatrics makes it so easy um healthychildren.org is their blog dr julie cardos what a pleasure to have you um i want to have another baby so i can take them to you as my as their doctor <laughs> I might be, those signs might be behind me, but um, thank you so much. And I can't wait to have you on again. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor every Saturday here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Listen to any of the shows in our extensive library again on odyssey.com. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y.com. A special thank you to our exclusive sponsor, Independence Blue Cross, and for support from Recovery Centers of America. And now a word from our new associate, Helio.com, the medical media company and information platform that offers the latest in healthcare news and information. 
An article from January 31st entitled, What to Know About the CDC's Measles Alert. Look for it on Helio.com, H-E-A-L-I-O.com. Please follow us and like us on social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, X, and now TikTok. Send us an email to info at yourradiodoctor.net. Tell us about a topic you'd like us to cover or share the story of a real champion in your family, your office, or community. It's February, and yesterday was Groundhog Day. Punxsutawney Phil did not see his shadow at Gobbler's Knob in Pennsylvania, so he's predicting an early spring. And since February is National Cancer Prevention Month, keep your sunscreen handy all year long, but especially since early spring means you'll be in the sun a little sooner. The good news, it's also American Heart Month. So early spring means you'll be out walking a little sooner too. Please continue to pray for peace in our world, our country, our families, and each of our own hearts. This is your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, wishing you a happy, healthy, and safe week with the ones you love, and always here to remind you that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. To contact Dr. Marianne and to listen to today's show as well as past shows, visit yourradiodoctor.com. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program has been pre-recorded. At Independence Blue Cross, we take care of the people who take care of you. Everyday heroes like firefighters, teachers, farmers, and healthcare workers. Doctors and hospitals across the region have IBX, and they know what it means to have reliable access to care. So whether you're saving lives or just trying to live a healthier life, count on IBX, the region's number one health insurer for 85 years. Learn more at IBX.com.